Well, I hope everyone had a good Turkey Day and good Thanksgiving time. And like you, we were with family and with some friends, traveled a little bit. But uh, now that's kind of behind us, except for some leftovers. And now we uh, draw our attention to Christmas. We draw our attention to Advent. Just another word, thank you to the decorating committee. This is a beautifully decorated, beautiful tree. And thankful for the uh, Advent wreath. And look forward to every Sunday as we... I anticipate Christmas Day and Christmas Eve will light the the center candle, the Christ candle, and what a wonderful celebration that will be. I hope you'll plan to be here each Sunday uh, during this time, and especially on the Christmas Eve service, uh, as we'll share together as a church family. This morning, we're going to talk about when your plans are changed. So if you'll take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, and the Christmas narrative, chapters 1 and 2. And then also turn to Luke chapters 1 and 2, that version of the Christmas narrative as well. We are blessed with just four chapters about about Christmas and about what happened during that time. And so we're going to look a little bit at each of those uh, chapters this morning. While you're looking that up, let me begin by telling you a story. It's called The Christmas Story. And it's a story that was written by a daughter and a family. And she described the scene when she was just a child herself. And her mother had gone to buy a nativity set at what we used to call the, the local five and, uh, five and dime store. All right, nickel and dime store, what we may call Dollar General today. All right. And, uh, but she went there in the little downtown area and, and she bought a nativity set. When she got home and she unpacked the nativity set, she found that she had two Jesuses. Two Jesuses. Now she had one Mary, one Joseph. She had, uh, you know, a couple of cows and sheep, and and then she had wise men. She had shepherds. Uh, she had all of the all of the rest of the pieces, but she wound up with two Jesuses. Now it worried her. She thought, "Wow, somebody's missing Jesus in their nativity set." So she immediately had her husband to go down to the down to the store and to ask the manager to put up a sign on the display where they were selling nativity sets and saying, if anyone is missing Jesus, call this number and gave their phone number. And so he kind of reluctantly did it, but he went down to the store and he asked the manager to do it. And the next time the wife was by, she saw the sign in the window. If you're missing Jesus, call this number. Well, she waited all through the Christmas season and there was no telephone call. Finally, on Christmas Eve, she told her husband, if no one calls by 5 o'clock, I want you to go down there and see if there are any nativity set because uh, nativity sets left because I'm, 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 I'm still hopeful that whoever's missing Jesus will call. And, and, and that's when he said, honey, don't you know that they make these nativity sets and they're sent everywhere across the country. There's some in Georgia and, and Florida. There's some in California and, and New England states and up in Washington state. It may be any one of those. She says, well, I don't care. I, 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 I believe that, that, that that's a nativity set here that's missing, uh, uh, missing Jesus. And so when five o'clock came, no telephone call. And so she said, honey, I want you to go down the, to that store. So he and the two kids, they went down to the store, and all the nativity t- sets were sold. And the husband s- said, thank goodness, you know, may- maybe, maybe somebody has, has taken care of this. By the time he got back to the house, his wife was gone. And he said, good, maybe somebody's called her, and this will settle the issue. You know, the missing Jesus has been, you know, has now been placed in someone's home. 
And it, he started getting the kids. He said, I, I need for y'all to get ready for bed. I'm going to pack or wrap mom's gift. And, and about that time, the phone rang, and he told them, he told the kids, when, when you answer that, say that, that baby Jesus has been found. You know, we, we've taken care of that. Got a place for him. But it turned out to be his wife. And through the children, she told the children, you tell your dad to come to 205 Chestnut Street and to bring blankets and to bring cookies and to bring milk. And so here it is, it's a blizzard, almost blizzard-like outside on that Christmas Eve, but they all bundled up, and he couldn't imagine what his wife, Ethel, had gotten into. But they made their way all the way across town, and when he finally got to Chestnut Street, 205, it was the only house that really was almost dark. All was lit was just one little light, in, in what he supposed was the living room. Before he could knock on the door, the wife was outside and said, thank you, I'm glad you're here, kids. You go wrap the kids with the, the sitting on the couch, wrap them up in blankets, and I'm going to take the milk and cookies. And she told her husband, Roy, you come in here. Uh, this little lady is, is, is a single mom. She's got five kids, and the furnace isn't working, and I need for you to, to fix the furnace. So he, he began to work with the, on the furnace, but the, the, the single lady came up to him and said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Said, my husband left us, me and the five kids, and he took just about everything. And I was doing pretty good. I, I've been working odd jobs, and i actually been working at the Five of Dime, and I saw in the window the sign that said, if you're missing Jesus, to call this number. And I knew that you must be good Christian people. And in desperation, I called this number. Your wife answered, and she came over. Mister, I'm not missing Jesus. I know Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm just missing a furnace. I'm missing heat. And so he busy, got himself busy. He fixed the furnace, and they took care of the kids, and they all enjoyed the milk and cookies. And as they were going out the door... The husband said, come on, Ethel, we've got some things to do. They ran to the house, made telephone calls, and before the evening was over, the children of that home had wrapped up toys, and they had gathered furniture, and they gathered clothes, and they gathered food, <clears throat> and they took it back to that house. And the young lady that wrote this article about this, years later, she said, I know that we had two Jesuses. Somebody was missing Jesus. But she said, I don't believe it was an accident. I believe it was all orchestrated by a God who loves people. When I think of that story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I know this, it, it is evident of what the true Christmas spirit ought to be with us. I mean, here's a story of a woman who was determined to find who was missing Jesus. Folks, it's okay to have an empty cross, but it's not okay to have an empty manger. It's also a story about a family helping another family at Christmas. But it's also a story about how sometimes our schedules are interrupted and what we might deem as very, very useless. But God is orchestrating something. And he wants his will to be accomplished as he changes our plans and disrupts us 
and interrupts us even during the Christmas season. Now, I know we have people here. You really get frustrated when, you're, when your plans get changed. You know, there's only two people that like change. That's a baby with a white di uh, wet diaper and a person who suggests the change. Those are the only two people that really enjoy change. But God sometimes will come into our life, and Christmas is one of those periods where we might find our schedule disrupted, but God has a plan for us that is greater. So this morning, let's look at Mary and Joseph, and look, let's look at their scheduled changes. I mean, what changes took place in Mary and Joseph's life? Well, the first change that I can think of is marriage. Would you read with me, beginning in Matthew chapter 1, just follow as I read, beginning in verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, uh, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name of Jesus. So think about it for just a moment. Here, their plans were thrown upside down. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about this at the end of one of my uh, sermon series on heaven. We talked about a Jewish marriage. And it was the custom to be engaged, to be pledged, or to be betrothed, as we read in our King James Version, for about a year. And so it was legally binding this relationship. Though there was no intimacy in that, that year period of time, you were legally bound uh, for, for the marriage commitment and for the celebration. And the husband would usually uh, go and he'd prepare the home uh, someplace and, and, and all that would be taken care of. Here we find Mary's pregnant. And so Joseph's going to divorce her legally since it was a, a contract. He could legally do that. He could legally divorce his wife, mean, meaning to put her away privately. He did not want to embarrass her. And, he, and he, he did not want to create any, any particular firestorm, firestorm storm around her. So that's what he was going to do. But the angel came and said, Joseph, I want you to take her into your home. I want you to bring her in as your wife right now. And that's what Joseph did. But the marriage plans changed all because of a, of a pregnancy. The plans changed. We know what can happen, that can happen in a, in a, in a relationship. That, that marriage can change everything. You're engaged, and the marriage uh, or the engagement breaks off. And it can be an extremely painful and disruptive time. Or maybe you're planning to get ma married, you're engaged, but for various circumstances, you decide to move up the date 
And that can be very disruptive, again, for the families and friends that are, are connected to it. In this particular case, we find marriage plans changed for Mary and Joseph. And some of us are familiar with that. There's something else that changed here, and that's baby plans changed. Notice back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, that uh, they, they were betrothed each other, they were engaged, but Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. And then we read over uh, in Matthew, or Luke chapter, chapter 1, again we read what was happening there beginning in verse 26 through 38. We also read about the, what had happened. That an angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you, you, know, you, you are highly affa- uh, favored by God amongst all the, all the women. Don't, don't be afraid, but you're, you're about to have a baby. And, and, and Mary says, how is this to be? She's not doubting it. She just wants to know how it's going to be. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're, you're going to conceive. And then as Mary is continuing to ask some questions, the angel explains that with God, nothing is impossible with God. And Mary accepts what is about to happen in obedience to the, to the Lord. Now think about this situation for just a moment. Mary was probably between the age of 13 and 15. Joseph might have been 18, 19, and, and, or 20 about this time, which was very common to have a, an older husband for, for a young woman. And so all this is going on, and, and here they were, they were making their, their plans. Just like, just like uh, they were making plans... To, to Mary, uh, Joseph probably was either building his own home or adding to his dad's home. And Mary maybe was sewing uh, uh, curtains for the home and gathering cooking utensils and all those things. Surely now, uh, as, the, as the baby is coming, I mean, as they were engaged, they probably thought, hey, we want to get this all in order. We want to do this in proper order. And maybe they were thinking of little Mary's and little Joseph's, but, but only in time after the celebration, after the year was over but a baby she was now pregnant all of us have known somebody that through the years the 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 wife becomes pregnant on on the honeymoon and nine months later there's a baby and they wish they'd had more time to get to know each other state to stabilize their their relationship and be sure they had a strong strong marriage but when you're pregnant you're pregnant and you make the best of it, and you pray that all things will be well, and that you can stand the stress and the changes that are going to go through in that relationship. Think about Mary and Joseph. The the marriage plans changed. The baby plans changed as well. But there was a third thing that changed in their life, and that was the travel plans. They were not going to be traveling over the holidays. Their plans were to stay home For Christmas, look with me in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the the line of of David. Now, please understand this particular decision, this census, was not an arbitrary decision by Caesar Augustus. 
I mean, God put this in the mind of Caesar Augustus to have a census at this particular time. Why? So that Scripture could be fulfilled. The prophecy was that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. So look down in chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then skip down to verse 39 in chapter 2. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now what Luke leaves out is what we find back in Matthew chapter 2. So go back into Matthew chapter 2. And we see what Luke left out. He left out the travel because Herod was going to kill all the babies because he had heard from the Magi that there was now born a king of the Jews and Herod couldn't let that happen. He was too jealous to let that happen. He had to find the baby and to kill the baby. So an angel came, as the scripture tells us, to Mary and Joseph and told them that they need to leave and they need to go down to Egypt. And so they flee to Egypt. Now, folks... You know what it is, maybe in a, an emergency, to have to travel. Some of us that uh, may remember when we were young marrieds, we didn't have very much money when we traveled. Our Linda and I used to collect pennies. I can remember traveling, praying that we didn't break down because all we had was just a bucket full of pennies if we needed them to pay a bill or something or something unexpected happened to us. Maybe you remember those days. How did they finance the trip? Have you ever thought about that? How did they finance the trip down to Egypt? All the way from, from Bethlehem, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of those are symbols, and, and we'll, we can study that at another time, the symbols of why the Magi, why the three kings, why they brought that to baby Jesus. But Joseph had an opportunity to have some funds, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to sell to get him down to Egypt. And then when the time was right, the scripture says they would leave Egypt. And the angel said, hey, I'm giving you the all clear. And again, not desiring to go back to Bethlehem because Herod was, uh, was still alive at that time. They bypass it and they go on the way, all the way back to Nazareth. So travel plans changed. Some of you know what that's about. You've traveled during the holidays and flight delays. Maybe you've had a car to break down and, and maybe other issues that created some stresses during the holidays, but your travel plans changed. Our youngest daughter and her husband and two stepsons, they had an opportunity to go to Alaska during this Thanksgiving week from Saturday to Saturday. And they had all their plans. Everything was just laid out perfect. Flew into Anchorage, went to Fairbanks, and then north of Fairbanks, and uh, were doing some things. But on the way back to the place they were going to spend their last four days, uh, the, the, the car, they had an issue with the tire. The, the, the lug nuts weren't put back on properly. And the wheel wound up creating a problem with uh, the rocker arm and all of this. And so they actually broke down. And it turned out to be almost like a Hallmark movie. I mean, about an hour and a half uh, went by and no one passed them. I mean, it's dark and it gets dark early in Alaska, by the way, about three o'clock where they were. And no one 
came by and finally someone came by but ignored them and somebody else came by and finally stopped and they found out where they could get a record service and a young couple came and picked them up with their record and took them back 45 miles by the way it cost them 520 dollars for that record service then they found out that because it's a small town called talk t-o-k uh, about 1300 people uh, they, they didn't have an auto parts place in town. They had to send for it uh, in Anchorage and uh, Napa Park, and it was going to be a day and a half, so it was finally fixed late Wednesday night. They got up early Thursday morning and uh, wound up moving on. But God did a wonderful thing. They got to know this young couple, and the young couple invited them to their family home on, on Tuesday night to a big family celebration, found out the family, they're, they're Christians, the patriarch of the home is a bivocational pastor, and they just had a wonderful time of celebration. Now they've made new friends, and um, they asked them, you know, you live in Alabama, how close are you to the beach? We've never been to the beach. <laughs> and so they may make their way down here. But the travel plans changed and was disrupted, and it turned out fine for our daughter, but maybe it didn't turn out so good for you. Travel plans change. But there's one last one. What else changed for Mary and Joseph? Career plans. Career plans. Again, I look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and we find that Joseph had to leave his carpenter business. He probably was just a one-man show. He probably just had a one-man shop. And for a carpenter, there was a lot of things he could do, but... Uh, Possibly he was the only one in the, in the, in, in the business, just, just himself. And he had to leave to go to do a census. And then the scripture says that, that they, they probably were there at least two years in Bethlehem because the Magi saw the star appeared when Jesus was born. And, and when Herod asked, how long has the star appeared? Well, two years. And they figured Jesus probably was almost two years old. The Bible says he was a child, which meant he wasn't a baby any longer. And, and, and so Joseph probably had a job in Bethlehem. He probably worked while he was in Bethlehem. And then he had to flee to Egypt, and he probably worked in Egypt as well. And then by the time he got back to Nazareth, you know, he, he had to probably start all over with his business. Some of you have been in careers maybe where you've had to move around. Some of you have been in the military. And you've moved from place to place to place. Or you've been in a, in a business, an industry, place to place to place. And you're here in, in, uh, back here in Selmore, Selmore's hometown. Or maybe you're back, you were off and you're back because of some ailing family members. But careers can change. The career plans. And maybe that's exactly what happened to Joseph in his life. So stop and think about it. Marriage plans change. Baby plans change. Travel plans change, and career plans change. So what can we learn? Let's take a moment and let's ask the question, what truths can we learn from this example of Mary and Joseph? God orchestrated all of this. We know that. God orchestrated. It's not the first time God orchestrated things uh, with Mary and Joseph. He did it with many other people. He did it with Abraham. He did it with Moses. Uh, he did it with Joseph. He did it with King David. He did it with the Daniel. He did it with disciples. He did it with Paul. He did it with Peter. 
And God is still in the business today of orchestrating changes in our life. So let's look at three truths that we can garner from our story this morning. The first one was this, God has a plan for all of us. God has a plan for every one of us. And it's not a mystery. His plans are not hidden from us. God doesn't play those kind of games with us. We read in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. When Jeremiah was writing this particular passage of Scripture, it was like a letter that was going to, to Babylon to encourage the elders who had been taken there during the exile and others who had been born there that they were only going to be there 70 years. Yes, they were being punished because of their sin, but they were only going to be there 70 years. And God has a plan for you. And it's a plan not to harm you, but a plan to prosper you. One to give you hope and to give you a future. See, God knew Israel. He knew from the beginning and to the end what he was going to do with them. He's omniscient. So he's looking down. He knew where he started with Israel. He knew there would be sin, but he also knew that he had a plan to bring them back into the promised land. It's just like with Mary and Joseph. He knew exactly what he was going to do with Mary and Joseph. He, he had a plan. He saw the beginning of the plan with Mary and Joseph, but he also saw the end of the plan that he had for Mary and Joseph. I love the story about the little boy. He's watching a parade, but because of the crowd, uh, he, he got behind this fence, and all he had was this little knot hole that he could peer. He got up on a box. He was looking through the knot hole above the heads, and he could see the parade as it passed by like this. A man came along and happened to see what was going on in the boy's life. Obviously, he couldn't get a whole view of what was going on, so he lifted the boy up on his shoulders. He said, gee whiz, mister, I can see where the parade starts down here, and I can see where the parade ends down here. That's God. That's a picture of God. God knows how he's beginning with you. He knows how he's going to end with you. And he has a plan on both sides and all the way through the middle of this for you and for me. He did for Mary and Joseph. He knew that there was this young lady who was named Mary who was very innocent but was favored by him. He knew there was a young man, an older young man named Joseph who had a skill set and he knew that there was going to come a time during the engagement that he would allow the Holy Spirit to cause Mary to be with child. And there would be a time when they would have to run up to or run down to Bethlehem and there would be a census. He knew that there would be a Herod that would create problems. He knew that he would send them to Egypt and he knew that he would bring them eventually back to Nazareth. All that to fulfill prophecy. But in the process, as he is giving them opportunity, the plan for them to be the parents of the Son of God, God knew from the beginning to the end. All they knew was what was happening at the moment. That's all God gave them as far as information was at the moment. They couldn't see the big picture, but they, they saw at the moment. They didn't have a full understanding, but they saw for the moment. 
And we need to understand that God has a plan for all of us. We need to trust His plan and know that we may not have all of the plan and understand all of it. But when God chooses to interrupt us, then we are prepared to wherever He is steering us that we are going to follow His path. I understand about God interrupting my schedule. I hadn't planned on marrying at age 20, Arlind and I marrying at age 20, but God brought this beautiful woman in my life that we had grown up together in, in junior high and high school and early college, and we started dating in college. But God had a plan for us to go ahead and marry and for us to travel the ministry path together. I, I, I didn't understand all of God's plan about college. I knew I was called in ministry. But I also veered off thinking that maybe I'd be a medical missionary and, and, and God showed me real quick. I didn't have the aptitude for, for medicine. That he wanted me to the pure path of, of ministry and preparing for a pastor. And, but through that, I, I, I was able to see his interruption into my life. And then through the years, the opportunities of serving uh, full-time in three different churches and how he... He interrupted and disrupted in some many, many ways, but to keep us on the path, the plans that he had for us. You might be asking a question, and if you're not, I hope you'll listen closely because it's a question you ought to ask. How does God reveal his plans to us? Well, the number one way is through the Bible. Just like this morning, you're listening to how God had plans for Mary and Joseph. And you need to listen closely and, and then study all the other biblical characters and how God intervened in their life, interrupted their life, had a plan for their life. So you need to be listening and, and reading, studying God's Word. Then prayer. You need to make sure that you are constantly in, a, in an attitude of prayer and, and seeking God in the quietness of the moment, what God would say to you. A third way he does this is through his Holy Spirit. Through his Holy Spirit, he begins to speak to you in the, in the still, quiet moments of your life. The Holy Spirit can impress things uh, uh, upon you. A, a fourth way is just godly counsel with the emphasis on godly. Not just anybody's counsel that is out there, while there you may get some good advice from some people, but when it comes to finding God's will, you better make sure you get godly advice and it may be a Sunday school teacher it may be a mom a dad it may be a brother sister maybe a friend it may be a pastor another staff member but godly advice and and a fifth way is just circumstances that God brings circumstances into your life and he is steering you in a direction and he's got this plan but he puts you constantly in circumstances one of the great pastors of uh, the First Baptist Church of, of Dallas um, was, uh, uh, was a man by the name of Dale Moody. And, and he tells a, a, a fantastic story uh, in his life about how God, God led him. And, and just in a, a miraculous way, some circumstances of, of becoming a pastor of a church. And it's interesting how, God, interesting how God will do that for all of us. So God has a plan for us. But there's something else. God has a, has a plan for us, and it requires faith. It requires faith. This is our response. This, this is our part of following God's plan, and that is just to respond in faith. Responding in faith. Remember, 
Abraham. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That word believe is also the word faith. God faith God. Abraham faith God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. By the way, the word faith, when you take the word faith all the way back to its original beginning, it, it is a Sanskrit word, word, which means to unite with God. Here's God, here's you, and you unite with God. And you are going to do what God wants you to do. You're seeking after God. You just have a grip, a connection with God. So you faith God. Abraham faith God. In the book of Hebrews, we read about the roll call of faith. All of the great uh, heroes of the Old Testament, they, they had a faith in God. They trusted in God. And we learn from the book of Hebrews, there's no way you can please God except by faith. It is, it is by faith only. In some devotional reading, I read in Psalm 31, verse 14, But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. Mary said something very similar in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I mean, Mary's saying the same thing as the psalmist. I recognize you as God. I'm your servant. I will do whatever you want me to do. I believe what you say. I have faith in you. I trust in you. And if you want to disrupt my plans, then you go right ahead and disrupt my plans because I have faith in you. Mary had that kind of faith. Joseph had that kind of faith. They both had that faith when they fleed to, uh, fled to Egypt. And they had that kind of faith when they came back toward Nazareth. And God just orchestrated so many things around them that affirmed that they were doing God's will and they believed and trusted in that. And God requires no less of you and me. He requires no less of you and me to do the very same thing. And that is that we are to trust and have faith, whatever he may be doing and leading in our lives. Mary and Joseph were about to do the most important task, and that was to raise the Son of God. They were to be the earthly parents of the Son of God. And God is calling each of us. And we are a piece of a puzzle that God is putting together to accomplish His plan and purposes in this world. So what do we do? We're supposed to walk, not by sight, but we're to walk in faith. And trusting whatever that is, whatever piece of the puzzle that you and I may play in this puzzle of life. That we're going to trust God, believe God, have faith in God, and know that whatever is disrupted in our life, it will always be for the better. And that leads me to our last point. And that is this. God's plan is always best. God's plan is always best. You say, Pastor, how do you know this? I know it because I've, I read the Bible. And I see what he did with his servants. How do you know that God's plan is best? I've seen it in my own life, in my wife's life, for the past 52 years. How do I know that it's best? Because I've seen it in lives such as yours and all the churches that we've been a part of and the men and women of God that we've been privileged to come in contact with. When we hear their stories, we understand just how good God is and that his plan is always the best. Rick Warren, in his book, Purpose Driven Life, wrote something about following God's plan. 
He listed three things I want to give them to you this morning. First of all, he says God's plans is always bigger than your plans. God's plans is always bigger than your plans. Mary and Joseph, all they wanted to do was marry, settle down, and have little Marys and little Josephs. But God said, no, I've got something bigger for you. I want you to be the earthly parents of the Son of God. Anytime that God calls us, he's disrupting us. Whatever it may be, his plans will always be better, bigger than anything you could ever imagine. There's another truth, and that is God's plan is always harder than your plans. It will be always harder than your plans. Can you think of anything that for, for a, a peasant couple like Mary and Joseph to have to endure? Here she is, she is pregnant, obviously in her ninth month. And she's having to travel that 75 to 80 mile trip that would be from, from Nazareth to Jerusalem and then the, down into Bethlehem and then to arrive and have her baby among strangers outdoors and in, in, in some sort of either in a cave or, or, or some sort of stable and to have strangers that are having to attend to her and have all these animals around her and her baby placed in a feeding trough. And then to have to, within two years, to have to pick up once again and travel down to Egypt, even to a stranger place. God's plans will always be harder than we can ever imagine. But just as the angel told Mary... Nothing is impossible with God. He will always give the resources, even in the midst of the hardness. He will always bring resources that will ease that discomfort we may be going through. And lastly, number three, God's plan is always more rewarding. Always more rewarding. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. However, as it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Mary and Joseph received unbelievable blessings from God. The parents, the earthly parents of the Son of God. And all the way through it, they were rewarded time and time time again shepherds the magi back in Nazareth all along the way the comfort and strength even Mary at the cross received the comfort and the strength of God when your plans change be reminded God has a plan for all of us we are to walk in faith to receive those plans. But recognize those plans are always the best for us. During this Christmas season, I want to give you a couple of things to think about. During this Christmas season, recognize that this season is actually a gift for us. It's a gift for us. It's a gift of reminder of what God was doing through his son, Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to ask you a question and, and just, just fill in the blank, this statement. Fill in the blank. Blank is the reason for the season. What's okay. We have someone that dared to speak. Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's good, Todd. That's what most of us think. I want to suggest to you, you are the reason for the season. You are the reason. If it wasn't for your sin, my sin. If it wasn't for a loving God who cared for us, there would be no Christmas. But because of you, because of me, what we caused in breaking the heart of God, he chose to send Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. I want to show you something, and I know it's, it's, it's small, but I'm going to show you something. Here's little baby Jesus that goes into the manger of one of our nativity scenes our Linda set up yesterday. And this will go in the manger. She told me to be very, very careful with it, by the way. <laughs> I didn't notice this until a couple years ago. But notice Jesus' arms, little baby Jesus, is out like this. And his legs are crossed. What's that a picture of? Jesus up on a cross, dying for us? I never noticed that. When you get home, check your nativity scenes. I didn't notice this till a couple years ago and a friend pointed it out. That's not true of all nativity scenes, but many of your nativity scenes show Jesus with the arms out and the legs crossed. Can I show you something else? Again, I know it's going to be a little hard to see. The same friend that pointed this out did something very, very crude in making it, but it's very much to the point. A cross with baby Jesus up on it. Jesus came to die for our sins. Yes, Todd, Jesus is the reason for the season. We celebrate. That's why we have Advent wreaths, why we have beautiful Christmas trees, beautiful decorations. Yes, we're going to celebrate our Savior, God's Son, God coming in human flesh. But let this be a reminder. You are the reason for the season. That's how much he loves you. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe there's someone here who has yet to receive the baby Jesus into their hearts to be their Savior and their Lord. What a beautiful season God has given us to do exactly that. These next four weeks, we're going to celebrate in great earnestness and great joy. But it's because God chose to come into our world, yes, in the form of a baby. Who would grow up and 33 years later would go to a cross and die for our sin up on the cross. When you look into that manger, see that baby up on a cross who gave his life for you. 
Would you not allow the Holy Spirit, if you're not a, a follower of Christ, allow the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, wooing you right now to come to Jesus, to ask forgiveness of your sin, to receive him into your life, surrender your life, and let him become Savior, Lord. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the quietness. Thank you that our plans, when they're disruptive, you have a purpose and a plan behind all of it. We may not truly understand everything because we're like that little boy looking through a knot hole. We can only see part at this moment. But you see the beginning and you see the ending. And you ask that we just respond in faith. We keep trusting. We keep believing. And then recognizing, Father, that your plan is always best. It's always best. And then, Father, may we close by being reminded that you love us and care for us, and Christmas is your gift to us. Our Christ, our Lord. May we celebrate while we go about cultural and customs of family gatherings, gift-giving, music, all these things. And while many of these things are good and point us to Christ, may we not forget about our Savior. And he did it for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.